watching HuffPost Live. I'm Caroline Modoresi Tirani. She's a two-time Emmy Award-winning actress, and with Ellen Burstein's latest performance on House of Cards, critics are already saying she's in line to win a third. Take a look. Are you two going to make a habit of showing up here without even the courtesy of asking? I wish I didn't have to be here, but your daughter's made it necessary. You know, when she got married, I was sure she would wake up in a year or two. I had no idea it was going to take her 30. Claire is the first lady of the United States, and you still think she made the wrong choice. Reduced to tabloid gossip? She might as well be living in that trailer park you come from. Well, it was a peach farm, but you're right. I am still white trash. I just happen to be white trash that lives in the White House. Not even being president could give you any class. And we're honored to have actress Ellen Burstyn joining us now. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, my pleasure. That was a zinger of a line. I like yeah, that. Yeah, really. <laughs> the, the show has very good writers. It's a fantastic writing. And, and of course, yeah, I mean, you execute the dialogue so well. Was it Thank fun to, to be on set with Kevin Spacey and, and with Robin Wright? Well, that's my only scene with Kevin, actually. I was mostly with Robin because, of course, I play her mother. Uh, and a lot of the shows that I, I did, six, I believe, and I think at least four of them, Robin was directing as well as acting. So it was fun to watch her do that. It's something I planned to do myself. So I was glad to see that it, it, there can be a nice flow with on and off camera. Uh, so that strikes me because, because you have directed, so you've not done both though. You've not acted and directed I, at the same time. I haven't, no. It's quite challenging, I think, but I love a challenge, so that's Well, I, we'll be excited to, to see the project you work on. What was that like then? Obviously, when you're, when you're acting and you're, you're Robin's, uh, Claire's mother in the show, when she is directing and then also has to kind of step in and, and she resumes her character, uh, what is that experience like as an actor? Um, you know, I'm so used to being on the on sets and having the reality and the fiction go back and forth and blend into each other that it really wasn't difficult. Uh, Robin is a lovely person. She's she has some of the same reserve that Claire has, but of course she's not mean like Claire is. She's a she's a very kind person. The uh, all of the crew just loves her, so it was fun doing. So I, I have to confess, and this is probably not a very healthy thing to do, but I binge-watched the entire season uh, over. My husband and I did it, I think, over the course of two and a half days. So we were, you know, quite fastidious. Had you done the same thing with the other, the other seasons? Were you a fan of the show? It, um, I had seen some of the episodes, um, and I've been trying to binge-watch it this week <laughs> since it came out, but I'm only up to episode seven so far. Um, that's a whole new way of watching television, isn't it? It is. Well, I was just going to say, so if you're only up to episode seven, I suppose I can't give any spoilers because you've not seen the whole season yet. <laughs> no, but I was amazed how quickly I was hearing from people all over the country who had seen the whole season like two days after it started. I had no idea that it had such an enormous following that it does. Oh, I mean, it certainly does, and like you say, all around the world as well. Um, what do you make of the, the way that Netflix has become this, this powerhouse? Uh, you know, was it fun to, to be able to perform and, and for it to be distributed on that medium? Well, it's pretty impressive, I must say. I've, I, you know, I've been in the business for almost 60 years, I think, 
And this is a whole new turn. And I think Netflix has really done something that is quite revolutionary and really impressive. I personally could not sit and watch a whole season in a weekend. But uh, I'm very impressed that a lot of people do. <laughs> well, I now I feel like I'm also on the fence because, you know, I, I, I will have to say I, there are going to be some spoilers in this, this conversation. So if you haven't watched the, the whole show, then just look away for a second now. Um, but, you know, your, your character is, is someone we haven't seen before. This is, a, you know, a new to, to this season in particular. Um, would you say that she is a kind woman? Not at all. <laughs> There's not, is, there, is there any aspect of her you think that it has a, an element of, of warmth and love deep down? Well, I think her relationship with her daughter is really not good. And there is indication in the story that um, my husband was doting on my daughter a lot. And I, it looks like I have some jealousy about that relationship. So whether or not I have kindness toward other people... I don't seem to have very much toward my daughter. No, it doesn't seem evident <laughs> no. in some of the interactions. But then there are these moments where, you know, the first the first interactions we see with you and, and, and with Claire's character, there's a hug of sorts. There seems to be an almost at the beginning we think maybe they're going to rekindle here because Claire's relationship with Frank is is so on the rocks and, and it looks like, you know, she really is going to leave. And then something happens. It doesn't quite work out that way. Do you think that the character's are able or had that sort of innate ability to love one another? Or do you think love had like left their relationship a long time ago? I don't see very much evidence of it. They both seem to be carrying a lot of um, rancor for, for the other one. You know, they don't, they don't seem like very forgiving characters. And um, it's too bad because they're, you know, pretty much all they really have in, in the family. So, uh, but I think they would both have to change an awful lot to come to some kind of forgiveness for each other, which I don't anticipate they're doing. No, it doesn't. It doesn't, doesn't seem like that's going to that's going to happen. It doesn't really happen. Uh, you know, in terms of Elizabeth uh, as a as a, a sort of not a role model, but as somebody who is sort of an older version of Claire, do you see it in those direct terms, or do you think that there are complications there that Claire isn't sort of a mini? A mini me. Well, I think Claire wasn't properly loved by her mother, you know, uh, because of the jealousy. And I think when people don't have that kind of birthright given to them of a mother's love, that it it um, cripples them a bit emotionally. And I think that's what we see in Claire. I mean, she's so needy in her desire to be um, powerful that it speaks of a, a lack, emotional lack in her, which I think is all my fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there are some, uh, you know, we mentioned the zinger of the line at the top. There is a, there's another one which I just love, uh, where, you know, Elizabeth turns to, to, to Claire and, and says that she hoped Frank dies. Oh, yeah, that was shocking. I thought it was a very... Uh, amazing thing for anybody to be able to say because usually when somebody is kind of in danger of dying you sort of suppress your anger at them but actually being able and open and willing to say I hope he dies that's pretty cool. Was that fun to act? Fun? 
Um, I don't know if it's funny. It was interesting because it's it's unusual for somebody to not hedge their bet there with their anger. So it was interesting to experience that kind of uh, clarity. <laughs> well, and your character sort of expresses, I think, what a lot of the audience feel. I mean, you know, he's got to the point where there's not a lot of love for Frank. Uh, you know, he sort of burned a lot of bridges. And I think that that season three where he and Claire's relationship was was totally in tatters. I think in, in the audience estimations, he's sort of lower uh, in our esteem. So you, you sort of were given the license in this to be able to say some things, I think, that a lot of the audience would want to say. Yeah. A friend of mine watched the show and said, I don't think I've ever watched a show before where there wasn't anybody to like. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of interesting, I think, that the show has managed to create such a, a devoted audience um, with all these horrible characters who are really, uh, you don't see their saving grace, except that I must say that my daughter is very elegant and beautiful. I have to say that. She's, she's a lovely person on her exterior. On the yeah, yeah, she, she holds herself beautifully. Yeah. I, I think one of the things of the show, and this really is a spoiler, so you must turn away now if you haven't watched it, but um, there is a very, very poignant journey that your character goes on. I think that, that everybody who's in that household, in, in uh, the, the Texas house, go on, particularly when it comes towards the end and, and we get into larger themes like assisted suicide. Um, how was how was it approaching that? I mean, did you all, as as a cast, sort of sit around and and talk to one another about this as 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 actors, as as people, as opposed to the character? Not really, no. Um, you know, with characters like this who are not communicating with each other, it's um, it, that kind of holds true for the actors as well because they're they don't really relate in kind of human way. You know, they relate in a very odd, cold way. Um, and as far as assisted suicide goes, I, well, we're not supposed to talk about that. That's in the future, isn't it? <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, because it's all, all released in one go, it's very difficult to know what we can and can't talk about. And we yes. tried to get some, I have some, we did try and get some clarification about this, but it's, it's because it's sort of all out in the ether for the people who have watched it all and they know. Yeah. Um, but not everybody has watched. But not, hence the spoiler alert. So yeah. if anyone, if anyone's upset. But I mean, when, when it comes to that issue, is it, had that been something that you personally had ever thought about? You know, do oh, you have, absolutely. Do you have a stance on that issue? Uh, absolutely. I've, I've seen people die horrible deaths. And um, I think people should have the right to make that decision for themselves. I don't think that should be illegal. It's a very difficult thing. I mean, talking anyone talking about death is just that you know it's, we're not very good at doing that in, in at least Western society. We're not particularly good at being open and, and honest about it. Have you had more conversations? You know, when you were preparing for this role, obviously, and, and that journey, uh, did it make you think about it more? Oh, I think about it all the time. <laughs> I mean, it's, you don't get to be seventy years old without. Um, without realizing the uh, the imminence of the end of your life, uh, and especially now I'm in my 80s, so I really think about it more. Uh, I remember when I was I was about 67, I think. I said, "There's this light at the end of the tunnel, and it seems to be getting closer." 
<laughs> but it, you know, it's something we all have to face. I made a picture called Resurrection in the 1970s, um, purposely because I wanted to have a character who was there when her father died and um, wanted to be more open about death because we do just you know, pretend it's not happening in this culture. And in other cultures, they're there with their loved ones when they, when they die and they prepare them for it. And, you know, it's a ritual. And I think we, we pretend like it's not going to happen. Um, and it surely is. So I think that it's very important to be open about um, death and illness and the choices we have and, and the issues around it. You know, if you're brought up in a, in a particular religion, you may be told it's a sin and you'll go to hell if you do it. And, you know, we have to really sort through all of that and see what's true and real and, and valuable to us to honor. And it feels that culture and, and art and, and, and television and film, in a way, are the tools of which we can use to help us do that. I mean, have you found that as you've you know, gone through your own journey, that you've been able to sort through some of these bigger life issues because of the, the films you were making or the television programs you were attached to? I think we learn a lot from, uh, from film and from art in general and from music. That's why I think it's such a shame that they've taken funding away from the public schools. You know, when I went to school, we had music appreciation and we learned about Mozart and Beethoven and Chopin. So I have a, a real appreciation for classical music because of what I learned in public school in Detroit. And kids don't have that kind of uh, benefit anymore. So that classical music has become something that they don't know anything about and don't don't relate to, but I think it's through the arts that the generations learn from each other. You know, knowing what, what has been expressed in the past through art, you know, whether it's Michelangelo or, or somebody more recent. And I think television is certainly a big educator. And, um, you know, I think we should be more careful what we put on and what we're educating people to. Is that difficult as an actor? I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, you've been in the business for, you know, 60 years. Yeah. Uh, and that is a re remarkable, the, the staying power, particularly, I have to say, as a woman, you know, the, the staying power for, for women, as we know, uh, it drops off at a certain age and men don't seem to have as much of a problem. Um, has that ever been a consideration for you? You know, was that ever oh, something sure. that you had to, to fight against? And, and how did you do that? Well, I was in the business a long time before... Um, I achieved what is called stardom, and a magazine, I, saw, I was walking down the street and I saw my face on the cover of a magazine, it said, new star at 42. So I, I became what's called a star when I was already old compared to everybody else. So I haven't really had any um, chance to feel like, uh, oh dear, it's all going to go away now because I reached 40. Um, because that's where it came to me after, after 40. But there's no question that there's ageism, not only in the business, in show business, and there certainly is, but also in our culture. You know, people pay more attention to younger people than they do older people. That's not true in a lot of other more ancient cultures, you know, where, where the elders are respected and gone to for guidance. 
Um, but we don't do that. We have a, a different idea that all the heat and energy of youth is wisdom. And uh, I found that I'm smarter than I was <laughs> when I was young. Um, and there is something to be said for experience. How do you make that known and felt within the industry? Poorly. <laughs> well, you do. I think you do pretty well because of you know the show that you're on and your your success remains. But you know when you're in those conversations, I have this. You know, I think the the discussions around one's one's remuneration, salary, pay, prestige, all those conversations that we think that as we get older we'll be much better at. Do you mm -hmm. feel that you've been become better at doing that sort of thing as you've as you've grown into your career? Uh, not necessarily. I've never been really. Uh, good at the at the business part of the business. Um, I've always been very interested in the artistic part, and the business. I I just hope it'll work out. I haven't been very smart about that, um, and I'm trying now because there's this script I want to direct called Bathing Flow, and act in, and uh, we have to raise money for it. So I've been involved in the money raising part of the business that I've never paid attention to. And it's awful, now I know why I never paid attention to it, I hate it. Um, it's, it's crass, you know, it's, uh, it's black and white, it's not about artistry, it's about other, it's about money, you know, it's just about money. And uh, it's never been my, what's attracted me in the business. Because of that, do you feel that in the past you have accepted things in a way that you, you wouldn't necessarily have done if you had been more comfortable with talking about you know, your compensation as an actor or, or you know, the, your, your power in, in the room? I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, probably. I mean, I probably have been a, a little remiss. Although I must say, I, I have a pretty clear head when it comes to how much you want to get paid for something. But you know, they there's now what's happened in the business. The uh, multinational corporations have taken over the studios. So they're, the people that are head of the studios now are not so interested in making movies, they're interested in making money. So then there's a formula. If, you make, if a movie made X number of dollars, then if you do the second version of it, that'll make X number of dollars. So everything is repeated as many times as they can possibly repeat it. And the movie makers have fallen into the independent film community. And they've somehow decided that um, the artists should work for nothing. And so it's very hard to make a movie, a, a quality movie, and earn a living. I mean, the, the um, things, you know, the rule is you get a lot of money for doing what you don't particularly want to do, and you get no money for doing what you really want to do. So that's the way the business is right now. It's just nuts, as far as I'm concerned. I, I don't think you're the only one as well. I, well, we touched on ageism very briefly. I've got a comment here from Marty Leake, who says, Ellen Burstein's a powerful performance as Chris McNeil in The Exorcist is my favorite. Although seeing Ellen Burstein and Cicely Tyson on House of Cards series is an incredible opportunity to see two a Hollywood great actresses. Uh, you know, Cissy Tyson, an, another formidable character. It does feel that this season is a season all about women and, and the strength of women. Uh, 
what, what was it like to also then have Cicely Tyson in the mix, although you didn't necessarily interact we, with her directly? Yeah, we didn't have any scenes together, unfortunately. I would have loved that. Um, it's great that they have roles for, for women that are over 12. You know, uh, I think the show's doing a wonderful job that way, and I don't, I don't know that um, Robin is, has anything to do with that, but now that she's directing and she's executive producer of the show, I wouldn't be surprised if, if um, we found out that she's got her hand in that, too. Is that, is that where the power really is then, I suppose, as a woman in the film industry and in, in the business? When you start to become the director, the producer, when you start to oh, yeah. diversify your role, that's absolutely. where you feel you have autonomy. Yes, absolutely. And, and you become a, you know, an owner of the piece. Uh, if you're a main actor, uh, you don't really have that, all that much said. Well, some people do, but not very many. The uh, the other oh I'm sorry you're blocking your microphone at the minute there you go that's fine thank that's you fine. Uh, we want to be able to hear your lovely words um, one of the other things obviously that's inescapable is this season uh, and and the the political fallout ramifications uh, of House of Cards some people might say it's actually not too dissimilar from the cacophony uh, that we're seeing in our own politics today do you see uh, when you're looking at modern day politics do you see anything Hopeful, or does it seem just as America works is in House of Cards and it's a disaster and it's going nowhere? Well, somebody told me, I didn't see it myself, that they saw Kevin on maybe Meet the Press, I'm not sure, and he said, sometimes we finish a show and we say, did we go too far? You know, is it plausible? Did we, were we overboard there? He said, but then when I look at the real situation that's going on, I go, no, we didn't go far enough. Um, I'm just absolutely astounded by what has happened. I mean, the, the drop, the descent into coarse, um, bombastic, undignified uh, lather that's going on for the presidency of the United States. I, I, I'm shocked, embarrassed. You know, everybody I talk to around the world, I've talked to people in Scotland and Australia and Paris, and they all say, have you people lost your mind over there? That's what everyone's saying. And I hear that from other people who talk to Europeans too. Go, what is going on in your country? So I think it's a shame. Is there anybody that is inspiring you at all when it comes to the the potential candidates that are running for the presidency? Well, I like what Bernie's saying. Um, I think he's telling absolutely the truth. I think Hillary is the most brilliant, most experienced, most imaginative and capable um, candidate uh, from either party. And um, I can't imagine anybody doing a better job than she would do. I mean, she's, she's a professional. You know, so, I mean, experience has gotten to be a bad word but <laughs> in that race, but it's not as far as I'm concerned. Do you hold a lot of weight behind the fact that she, she would be making history as the first female president? Is that something that is important to you and, and resonates with you as, as a voter, or is it more about her experience, her policies? Well, I, I wouldn't vote for her just because she was a woman, that's for sure. Um, 
I could name another woman who was a candidate earlier uh, that I would not vote for. And, but I think Hillary is really, of either sex, the best candidate. Um, then the fact that she's a woman, it is about time that we've had a, a woman president. I mean, Germany has, and England has, and India has, and Israel has. And, you know, we shouldn't be the last one to, to have a woman president. But I think over and beyond that, she's a really brilliant person. I, I, I can vote for her with a clear conscience that I'm not voting just for gender. And, and you know, it's a, it was a fascinating thing just a few months ago when there had been this debate about gender and, and about the fact that Madeleine Albright had made some comments about, you know, special place in hell for women who don't help other women. And after that, there was sort of a conversation that ensued about the generational divide and how young women today maybe just almost, and, and rightly so, I suppose, take it for granted because that's what people are fighting for. So they take it for granted the fact that a woman was running and could be the first. Do you see things in those kind of generational terms? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, I just gave a, an award to Gloria Steinem the other day, the other night. Uh, the John Jay College gives a justice award, and I presented it to Gloria, and I said, young women today have no idea of what it's like to grow up in a world where it never would occur to you to say, I want to be a doctor when I grow up. You'd only say, I want to be a nurse. Or nobody would say, I want to be a CEO, any girl. I mean, they'd say, I want to be a secretary. You know, and you, your choices were so limited because it was just assumed that women weren't capable of leadership of any kind. And We've gotten past that, we've grown past that and fought that fight, and now the next generation doesn't know that it was a, any different. Girls today are told you can be whatever you want to be. Well, we were never told that. So um, I think it's up to our generation to tell the next generation what it was really like. When you were not told that, you know, when you were not told you can be whatever you want to be, because that wasn't what you know, women were, were told, when did you realize that you could be anything you wanted to be? Well, of course, being an actress is an exception because there were, there were always actresses. And, you know, there was like Sarah Bernhardt and Eleanor Dusa in Europe who had their own companies. And Sarah Bernhardt uh, directed and produced and had her own theater and, and um, designed her costumes and... So there's always been a place in theater, once they let women in theater, because earlier on, Shakespeare's time, of course, were only men. So that's, I knew I wanted to be an actress quite young. And when I was told that, the answer was, oh, you've got pipe dreams. Take a good commercial course so you can be a secretary when you fall on your butt. And I just didn't listen to that because I knew I could be an actress. That was it felt like what I could do. Um, but it would never occur to me if I weren't an actress that I could ever be the head of a company or, or a doctor or a lawyer or any of those professions. So we've gone through a real transformation and Gloria was one of the leaders of that transformation. Um, and now we just have to remind our daughters uh, that 
it needs to be protected and respected and, um, you know, helped to keep it viable. I, I think that the part of the fear with the, the current situation as well in the political realm is that it feels that it's under threat, that, that the progress that women have made um, feels like it's being hammered from, from all corners, you know, whether it be our reproductive health and our choices um, to things like equity and, and raising people of, of all income brackets up all together. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it, do you feel that sense of danger? Do you feel that sort of sense that things could Absolutely. feel precarious? Absolutely. I mean, there are people running for office who would like to turn back the clock so that women didn't have the right to make decisions about their own bodies. You know, I always want to wonder if a, if a woman is forced to have a baby that she doesn't want, it'll change her life completely. Well, there was a man involved in that, too. Shouldn't be, there be some attempt to find out who that was and perhaps have him take some responsibility for this newer child that's being demanded be given birth to? Um, it doesn't make sense to me. I, I love that thing that Gloria said years ago. If, um, if pregnancy, no, if abortion, I, mean, I gotta get this right now, and I said, yeah, if, if pregnancy could be available to men, if men could get pregnant, then abortion would be a sacrament. And that's just the way it is. I don't think that women should be forced to change their lives because somebody else said they had to because women are very often in a situation where they're pregnant and had no intention of getting pregnant. So it should be up to them. Well, I, I wish we had another 30 minutes. I would love to keep talking to you, and not just about politics, of course, but you know your, your career, which, uh, whilst I, I so relish uh, this season of House of Cards, obviously goes so much beyond, beyond that, and we're looking forward to your directorial and acting combo debut. Uh, Ellen, thank you. thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, and guys, thank you very much for watching. Make sure to see Ellen's amazing performance in the fourth season of the hit Netflix series, House of Cards. Uh, and stick around. There is, of course, more coming up on HuffPost Live. Thank you.